So, of course, today, continuing our study through the book of Ephesians, uh, we springboard out of this passage on the gifts to the church and the work of the ministry and the purpose of the body to minister to one another. And, and, and that's what we've been talking about with the built life groups to how we are to minister to one another. And there's opportunity, uh, greater opportunity within these small groups to minister to one another. And, and now we pick up from there, we're talking about uh, the conduct the, the spiritual walk and the responsibility of the, the individuals in the church. We've talked much about the church, and we've talked much about how we are to handle ourselves with one another. We've talked about the, the structure even of the church, the purpose to one another. Now there's, there's a bit of responsibility here. And even in the last couple of weeks, we have talked about the accountability that there is within the church. In the body of Christ, you are called to high accountability. Right By your brothers and sisters and by the word of God, you are held to a level of accountability. Now we dig a little deeper into this, in this high level of accountability, this high calling uh, for the believer as an individual. And he says, this I say therefore, and so what he's saying here, based on the high calling of the believer, uh, based on this need to grow spiritually, based on the necessity of spiritual maturity in the church, the high calling of the church to be unified, to be giving of grace to one another, right? These are things that we've been talking so much about, the responsibility of the church to maintain unity, to be giving of grace to one another. Because of this high calling, Paul is saying, you should no longer walk a certain way. And what he says here is that you should not walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk, now, we've talked about the Gentiles, and we've talked about the Jews and the separation between them, and then we've talked, of course, about how amazing it is that the Gentiles, even the Gentiles, can be brought near by the blood of the Lamb. Now he's going back and talking to the Gentiles and saying, don't walk like the rest of the Gentiles, or don't walk like you used to walk before you came into fellowship with Jesus Christ, before your relationship with him. You should no longer walk that way. You need to put it aside, and we'll get further into that, what it looks like to put off and put on uh, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. But now, you should not walk like the Gentiles or like the world. We should not look like the rest of the world as believers in Jesus Christ. If we put on the label of Christ and we say we are a Christian, then we shouldn't look like the world looks. We shouldn't act like them. We shouldn't talk like them. But far too often, we try so hard to look like the rest of the world. We have a tendency to fall into that in, in the way that we interact with each other. Our unity is not always attractive to the world, right? Jesus said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so does the world know it? Do they look at the church and say, those are disciples of Jesus? Or do they look at the church and say, I don't want to have anything to do with it? We have a tendency to look like the world. We have a tendency to get caught up in fleshly desires. We have a tendency to say things that we shouldn't be saying. Speak in a way we shouldn't be speaking and interact with each other in a way that we shouldn't interact because we base how we act off of 
the morality of the world. We get caught up in that. And this happens a lot of times as well in, in an attempt of gaining approval from the world or fulfilling our fleshly desires. We want to look like the world because we want to gain approval from the world. We want, to, we want to fit in. And Paul has a lot to say about that. It's not worth it. The behavior of a believer is supposed to be radically different from the world. And I, I mean, I go through this. My kids want to listen to such and such of music, right? It's popular. Kids are listening to it. Secular music. And I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, I'm going to tell you guys, don't ever listen to secular music. But, but it affects us. It can have a negative effect on us. And if we're just continuing to fill our minds with that. Yesterday, I'm sitting at the island in the house, and I'm studying for today. And it was yesterday morning. I'm studying, finishing up some notes. And uh, my wife was cooking something, and the kids were coloring or whatever, and they're listening to music. And it's just silly, secular music, some fun songs. And I was like, I can't do this. I said to my wife, I'm like, I can't do it. I'm hearing this music in the other room. It's just goofy nonsense. And then I get up from the island and I walk in. Guys, do me a favor. Can we please put on something that is going to edify our spirit? And they're like, huh? I'm like, Christian music, please. Let's listen to some worship music. And they're like, I don't, I'm like, it just, we need to feed the spirit of God in us right now. You know, and there's nothing wrong with what they're listening to. I wouldn't let them listen to it if there was something wrong with it, but it wasn't feeding the Spirit of God in us. It wasn't edifying to us in that moment. And especially when I'm trying to study the Bible and I'm hearing like this goofy nonsense going on, I'm like, I can't do it. So then we put on some worship music, and I'm like, oh man, now it all makes sense. Now I can study. But again, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's just this attempt to gain the approval and fit in. And I, I want to listen to that music. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. Sure, there's nothing wrong with it. But is it feeding the Spirit of God in us? Is it really building us up? Is it what is best? The behavior of a believer is to be radically different from the world. We shouldn't want to look like the world, but yet we get so caught up in it because we want that approval. And so here's what Paul has to say about the things of the world or the things of the flesh. In the futility of their mind, he says. Do not walk as the rest, of, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. That's how the world walks, in the futility of their mind. This is where the actions of the non-believer are fueled from, the futility of their mind. The word futility means this, what is devoid of truth and appropriateness. That's the way of the world. The futility of the mind is devoid of truth and appropriateness. That's the fruit that we can expect in the things of the world. Or morally depraved, or further, vanity of the mind. There's, a, there's an emptiness here. Paul has got a lot of negative to say about the actions or the behavior of the world and that it's not worth mixing it up. The reality is that those who are not in fellowship with God cannot think straight 
on moral or spiritual or faith-based issues. And we can look around. We see this. We see this going on, but there's so many who are not believers who are trying to dictate to the rest of the world what is morally good or what is spiritually right or what is something to do with faith. Paul says, no, that their minds are actually empty when it comes to spiritual things. There is no spiritual things in the minds of those who are not in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now, that would bring then into question for ourselves, struggling with our thoughts, thinking through spiritual issues, when we struggle in, in, in moral issues, when we're struggling in, in spirituality, in our walk with God, what does that remind us? Where is our fellowship with God? It's always the same problem, guys. It always comes back to the same thing. I, me and my wife could have some struggle sometimes. I'll just be honest with you. It's usually me. Actually, it's always me. I'll be honest. It's just... I'm hard-headed and anyway, so we might have some intense fellowship. We'll call it an argument, all right? And maybe we go through a season that we just feel like, oh, we're just not, we're disconnected and we're having, you know, you go, you know what it's like. You have a week or you have a few days, you're just like arguing or the kids, they're arguing with each other. What's the problem? The problem is always that we are not in proper fellowship with Jesus, if I'm in proper fellowship with Jesus, then I'll be in a good place. When we lack contentment in our life, when we're desiring more things of the world and more satisfaction in the things of the world, what's the problem? Is it that we don't have enough? Or is it that we are lacking in our fellowship with Jesus? Hey, listen, guys, maybe you struggle with anxiety and depression. Is the problem that the world is so difficult? Yeah, it's part of it. But the real problem is we are lacking in our fellowship with Jesus Christ alone. We continue. Verse 18. We continue a downward spiral. A downward progression here. Further, they're having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. First of all, the understanding being darkened is speaking about actual spiritual blindness. The darkness. You can't see in the dark. You can't see without light. And those who walk in darkness are blind. And apart from Christ, so, so far we're seeing apart from Christ, you cannot think straight and you cannot see straight. This is a problem. Imagine that in just living your life in the reality that you have to put one foot in front of the other. If you can't think straight and you can't see straight, you've got major problems going on. And this is becoming more and more evident in the world today. 
We see so much of the world not thinking straight, and further, we see so many wandering aimlessly or blindly about in the world with no purpose apart from Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says this, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. They are darkened because of what? The gods of this world, the desires of this world, all the things that they have allowed to control truly their thoughts. And some of the beliefs of the world today would show us how darkened the understanding of the world is. We have things like Christian science that says death is not real. We have things like Mormonism that says they can become gods. The Hindus believe in reincarnation, that we would come back as an animal, a cow, or an insect of some sort. You have a whole scientific community today that tries to explain away God, pushing evolution, challenging the image of God, the power of God, challenging the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, challenging the reality of gender and identity. This is the wisdom of the world. James says it's demonic. And that's what Paul is drawing attention to here. And and in Isaiah chapter 5, it says, Woe to them, right? Here's what Isaiah 5, verse 20 and 21 says. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Paul is saying it here. Look, the world has got everything backward. They can't think straight and they can't see straight. Apart from Christ, we have major problems. And Isaiah is saying, woe to them. Because without Christ, they're going to get everything backwards. They're going to call evil good and good evil. They're going to put darkness for light, light for darkness, bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. It's just going to be a mess of confusion in the world when we base things on the wisdom of the world. But woe to them. When there's a woe in the Bible, that's coming from God. That is a dangerous place to be. That means there's judgment coming. You see, what happens is lost people proclaim lies as truth and immorality as morality. And this lack of understanding comes from being alienated from the life of God being separated from the life of God. The opposite, of course, of life is death, and without God, you're spiritually dead because of ignorance, alienated from the life of God. It's speaking of a rejection of God and an ignorance, rejection of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit that would bring enlightenment to our eyes. Ignorance comes from blindness, being closed off 
alienated from the life of God, rejecting it, separating ourselves from it. And see, the reality is that the lost or those who are apart from Christ move from darkness to darkness in darkness. But those who are in Christ move from darkness to light in fellowship with Jesus Christ. You tell me what's better. There's a great warning here from Paul. He's saying simply, don't walk this way. Don't walk in darkness. It's no good walking in darkness. In fact, it's very dangerous. Years ago, I was in a school of discipleship in Montana, and it's very dark there. There's no light pollution. There's just stars in the sky, and some, it, we're out in the middle of the wilderness. There's, you can't see sometimes your hand in front of your face on certain nights. And one night, we had this activity of sorts that we were doing, and I had to run, and I'm starting to run, and I can't see anything. And as I'm running through the woods, there was this path, and then there was railroad ties on the side, and I didn't see the railroad ties. And I mean, like, big railroad ties. And I'm running hard, and I had sandals on, actually. It was a bad move. It was my fault. Running in the dark with sandals on is a bad idea. But here I go, and I clip one of those railroad ties, and my foot just, oh, man, I hit the ground. I fall into a creek. It was a mess. And for like a few weeks, I'm hobbling around. I don't know if I broke it, sprained it, whatever, but it hurt really bad because I was running in the darkness because I couldn't see right in front of my face. And so many times we are wandering aimlessly or we're running. We just get up and we put on our flip-flops and we start running through the darkness, not knowing what's in front of us in the midst of this world. But when we have the light of Christ, we can run and not grow weary. We can, we can know without doubt, even though we may not see what's right in front of us, we have the light of Christ and we can walk by faith and know that we don't have to worry. That God's gonna teach us, God's gonna move in our lives. Verse 19, we continue then, we, we continue in the next step of the process here as it says, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. The next step in the process is past feeling, a willful blindness in pursuit of more darkness. When you're in the dark and you need to see, you're pursuing light, am I right? You, we have a saying in our English language that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Why? Because you want the light. You want to be able to see clearly. But the world, literally, this past feeling idea is a willful blindness, wandering in the dark and desiring the dark in pursuit of more dark. And that leads to no conviction. Past feeling, rejecting accountability, bringing forth no conviction of sin. The word past feeling means that they lost their sense of pain. 
Now, as Paul has given us this clear example of the church being the body of Christ, if a part of the body is past the point of pain, that is very, very dangerous to the body. And we're talking about an individual. Being past feeling, being without conviction is extremely dangerous to the body. Things start to shut down. Body parts end up being amputated. It's a problem. So then without feeling, they are given over to Lewdness, without conviction, lacking conviction, forsaking accountability, forsaking conviction, they're given over to lewdness, to work all in cleanness, with greediness. A few very descriptive words that Paul uses to call out all sorts of immorality. First of all, lewdness. Lewdness is the idea of flaunting itself. No shame with no conviction. Then you have uncleanness. Uncleanness is speaking specifically in reference to sexual immorality. And what Paul is saying here, like lewdness, flaunting itself, no care, no shame, no conviction, uncleanness, sexual immorality of all sorts, heterosexual, homosexual immorality. Paul addresses both of these in various letters. And further then he says it's about greediness. All specifically about self-satisfaction, self-gratification, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. This is what they're given over to when they forsake accountability, when they push it away, and they forsake conviction, given over to lewdness, given over to a depraved mind. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh is the greediness. In verse 20 then. But you have not so learned Christ. Now Paul gets into proper Christian living. And Paul did not link proper Christian behavior to a man-made code of conduct. He says, you have not so learned Christ he didn't say, you have not so learned how to be a good person. You have not so learned the 12-step process. You have not so learned this certain code of conduct. What he says is, you have not so learned Christ. There is high accountability in knowing Christ. There's a high calling he didn't link proper conduct to a code of conduct, but to Jesus Christ alone. Because Jesus is the standard of morality. Not the world. Not a single person in the world. Not Mother Teresa or fill in the blank of whoever you might think are a very moral person throughout all of history. But see, we could get easily caught up in those ideas. That's a good person. I want to be like them. I want to be like Jesus. I need to be like Jesus. And you need to be like Jesus. 
And this is not speaking about learning about Jesus. As he says, you have not so learned Christ. It's not saying you have not so learned about Christ, but you have not so learned him. And that learning him is a living and abiding knowledge of Jesus. Walking with him and walking like him. That's what it is to learn Christ. Then verse 21, then if indeed you have heard him and have been taught him, as the truth is in Jesus. And first of all, he says, if you have, and this is, the translation indicates an assumption. Really to say, since you have, not just if. In our language, the word if is just like, well, if you learned him, not if. Since you've learned him. And Paul is saying, you have learned him. You have learned Christ. And because you've learned Christ, you've, you've heard it. You've been properly taught Christ. Jesus, the truth of Jesus, to walk in the ways of Jesus. And since that is the case, then you are held to a high level of accountability. Since you have taught, have been taught, and since you claim to be a Christian, since you are part of the body of Christ, here's the standard. And the standard is, verse 22, that you put off the old man. And you put on the new man. The standard is putting off the old ways. And he says, put off the old concerning your conduct. The way you act, the way you walk, the way you talk, your manner of life. Put off the old ways. Put off the old the old man, the translation here is, is saying that which is corrupt or decaying as a corpse. That's the reality of what Paul is saying to put off. And what he's saying is we have to put it off means that there's an issue here. We're walking around holding on to disgusting corpses of the flesh. The old man. And this is in relation to our desires. The desires of the old man are decaying and vile. And some of you recognized it in your own lives when you, when you came to Christ and in fellowship with Christ, you're like, I can't talk like I used to talk. I can't use words that I used to use. I can't watch things that I used to watch. I can't listen to things that I used to listen to. I can't engage in things that I used to engage in. But maybe there's still some things that you're holding on to and you are seeking out the approval of the world and you're still engaged in things that you shouldn't be engaged in but you're saying, well, it's okay. I'm okay with that. But are you really and should you be really? Because is that just a dead corpse that you're dragging along? Are the desires of the flesh, the desires of the old man, is it a dead corpse that we are literally chained to? It's hanging on us. We're allowing it to be part of us. It's not worth holding on to is what Paul is saying. You want to hang out with a dead corpse? Put it off. Get rid of it. It's disgusting. Last year, I, I have squirrel problems. I've had several of them in my shed. 
and even a few that got into the house. We had this old chimney from a wood-burning stove. I took the wood-burning stove out, and I just plugged up the wall, and I'm like, I'll get to that another time, right? And this cap that was on the bottom of the chimney fell, broke off the bottom. And then I was doing some work on some cabinets. I took a cabinet out of our kitchen. I put it out there, and it's out there, and the squirrels used the cabinet, climbed up, and then got up in that little round hole of the chimney. And they were hanging out there. Now, of course, my wife recognized it. And I'm like, no, they're not. No, it's not true. She's like, I hear scratching. No, there's no scratching in the wall. All right, fine, there's scratching. And then I go out there and I, I got, first I plugged up the hole thinking I got them out. I scared them out and now I plugged up the hole. I hear scratching. No, there's no scratching. It's fine. There was scratching. And then there was no scratching after a little bit of time. And so, oh man, I got to, I take, I unplug the hole. I reach in there. I clean it out. So I thought I got a couple of dead squirrels out of there. It was bad. But it gets worse. I, I, okay, plugged it up and then living life. And then my wife said, I smell something. No, you don't smell anything. It's fine, you know. Then the dog is like going crazy in the corner over there in the room. And I'm like, oh, man, she's right. <laughs> so then I start, all right, I'm going to cut the hole in the wall right there. And I start cutting and nothing. I just keep going. I had to cut all the way down the whole wall, the sheetrock out to find there was one more at the bottom. That was disgusting. That was one time in this whole life of wearing masks that I was thankful that I had a mask to go grab really quickly. And I'm like, give me that mask. Ooh. <laughs> Holding my breath, trying to clean this thing out. But the decay is filthy. And some of you guys have experienced this type of thing before, out in the yard or whatever. You're like, oh, it's gross. The decay, it happens so quickly and it's so disgusting. You gotta clean it out and it takes so much effort. But yet, some of us are living our spiritual lives with corpses wrapped around us. We're dragging them along and thinking, what's wrong with it? It's disgusting. That immorality is gross. We should not desire these things. None of us desire to have a dead squirrel rotting in the wall of our house. Yet we live our spiritual lives sometimes. We walk out our spiritual lives with exactly that. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. We shouldn't desire these things. We should not hold on to them. But as Paul says, put off these things. The old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, the desires of the flesh. Verse 23, then he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We already established that apart from relationship with Christ, you cannot think properly when it comes to morality, when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to faith. Apart from Christ, we can't think clearly, can't see clearly. 
But further here, Paul says, this is what you need. If you're holding on to, you're dragging along the dead corpse of the old man, you need to first be renewed in your mind. Because Satan attacks the mind constantly. And our thoughts will easily deceive us. And the mind will make a convert of the heart. We need to renew our minds. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Talking so much about the same thing that we're seeing here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In fact, Paul writes a lot about our mind, about our thoughts, and challenging our thoughts. In Philippians chapter 2, and we've, we've read it so many times in reference here to what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church. Ephesians, or Philippians chapter 2 is talking about having the mind of Christ, which is humility. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things or think on these things. Again, Paul speaking about the mind and about the thoughts. Because the mind makes a convert of the heart. And we have to constantly remind ourselves of what is true and what is noble and peaceable and pure. So that we don't think like the world thinks. We don't get caught up in worldly wisdom which is demonic. And we don't start thinking about the things that are not noble and not pure and not peaceable. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 further says, Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. We certainly get caught up in the things of the earth. And not just the desires of the flesh that go very deep into the decay of the old man, but just the things of the earth that we're like, hey, it's okay, there's nothing wrong with it. But Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Don't let the things of the world dictate your thoughts. Because you are going to be confused. You're going to be miserable. Further in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, Paul writes, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What we desperately need is Jesus, the obedience of Christ. And in the obedience of Christ, we have this great weapon. In walking with Jesus, in fellowship with Jesus, we have this great weapon. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the helper, the Holy Spirit, that would influence our thoughts and, and, and renew our minds, would bring us into the mind of Christ, we have a great weapon. And we are able then, with that great weapon, able to pull down strongholds, cast down arguments, and take every thought captive. Satan attacks the mind, and we so desperately need Jesus. We need to walk in obedience that we might be brought into the mind of Christ. Verse 24 
put on the new man. We put off the old man in its disgusting ways, but put on the new man. Speaking of a new nature, as Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Created in Christ Jesus. As Ephesians 2.10 says it, right? Created in the image of Christ with the focus on being born again. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old things have passed away. Don't hold on to them. All things are new. Walk in that. Put that on. Put on the new garment. Put on the new clothes. And just get a picture of, of just spiritually what we're doing. Like, like Jesus called Lazarus forth and he said, take off your grave clothes. Take off the garments of death. But yet we want to walk around with those garments of death. And he's like, hey, I've got something new for you. You can be clothed in righteousness. We're like, no, I like the grave clothes. They got style. They've got, they're classic, right? And we have all our reasons, our excuses. And in those excuses and those reasons, we are saying, no, I don't want to be clothed in the righteousness of God. I don't want the new garments. I don't want to put on the new man. We must be born again. True righteousness then and holiness, that's what we can be clothed in, and that is found in the image of Christ. It's only the work of Christ and the revelation of Christ to us and in us that makes all things new. We'll close with this in Revelation chapter 21 verses one to five, of what is going to happen, without doubt going to happen. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I saw, thy John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He makes all things new. The work of Christ has made us new. And it all comes back to fellowship with him. You want to be renewed in your mind? You want to make all things new? You want to put off the old ways and you want to put on the new? You want to be clothed in righteousness? 
enter into fellowship with Jesus Christ or come back to fellowship with Jesus Christ. He's not gone anywhere and he's not going anywhere. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, even like in Revelation chapter 21, forever. In that day when he makes all things new, he wipes away every tear. There's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no suffering because he's done the work. It's going to happen. So wouldn't we just put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Put on the new man. Be clothed in his righteousness. Come into fellowship with Jesus and come back. If you have strayed, if you feel distant, if you've walked away, come back into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Because he loves you, he desires you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We trust in you. We thank you for the work that you've done. We thank you that without doubt, you will make all things new. That is true and faithful. We look to you, God. And we need you.